0: If you've been with us throughout the month of February, you know that we have been giving thanks for and also honoring the lives of black people, specifically resilience as it is displayed within um, biblical, um, biblical narratives. So we have been using the story of particular characters who have either suffered but come out on the other side or either shown great strength to highlight the resilience that we see in black people's voices, experiences, and also in their lives. Now, you may be wondering why is it that we chose this um, this attribute of resilience of all the attributes that we could have landed on during um, this Black History Month, but it's because um, during the Racial Equity Institute phase one workshop, which we always encourage anyone who's a part of our worshiping um, community to to go through, because it helps us all have the same language as we talk about race as a construct and systemic racism here in the American context, but every single time um, I have ever gone through our there is a particular exercise, I'm not going to give the exercise away for those of you who have not taken REI yet, but there's a particular exercise where um, 99.9% of the time people will say that resilience is one of the beautiful characteristics that they see displayed within um, the black community or within black people. Um, Psychology Today says that resilience is that ineffable quality that when some people are knocked down by life they get back up just as stronger, stronger. It's no small thing to say that someone has resilience on the other side of their suffering or on the other side of of their pain. And so we've been leaning in. You know, um, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, I used to hear people say, um, I'm pressed on every side. And I saw how people were pressed on every side and how they really did live resilient lives. Now this is what I want to say though, um, that there is a particularity around marginalized groups who find themselves resilient that it almost seems otherworldly to me. Now that doesn't mean that, um, that I'm not saying that other people do not show resilience. Listen, I'm your pastor, I know your lives, you blow up my cell phone with text messages, I have sat with you on the mourners bench, I have seen some of you come in and out of things. But there is something about marginalized groups in particular in, in the context of the America, the America that we live in, that when I have seen people on the other side of suffering to be resilient, it really does feel kind of like a miracle. You know, um, one of my friend's mother, who's actually younger than my mom, from Camden, South Carolina, when she was a little girl, she was five years old, she and her mom went to a, um, a shoe store in Camden. And as five-year-olds sometimes find themselves without the best of bladder control, the five-year-old, my my friend's mother, told her mom that she needed to use the bathroom. Well, she grew up in Jim Crow South. And um, they asked the owner of the store if she could use the restroom, and this man said, I will not let this black little girl use our restroom. Because he denied her, my my friend's mother um, ended up soiling herself in the store. And she can still talk about um, the humiliation of that, I mean, like it is still etched in her mind what it was like to see an adult tell her no. And for her to know why she was told no, she couldn't use the bathroom, while she is squirming and her mother is pleading on behalf of her five-year-old child. I'm pressed on every side, but this is what resilience looks like. That my friend's mother can still sing about the goodness of the Most High God that my friend's mother can still hold hands with people who do not look like her and actually trust them. There is something about seeing resilience in those who are marginalized that it seems as though it is otherworldly. But I would hope that we would not underestimate that thing that is at work in those who have shown us resilience in their stories to maybe realize that that same power is also at work in us. So this morning, we're going to find ourselves in the story of the Apostle Paul, Uh, Paul who was um, a great uh, kind of messenger of the gospel after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You'll notice throughout um, Paul's epistles, which basically these are the letters of Paul. So when Paul writes to the church in um, Corinth, that's what we call Corinthians. When Paul writes to the church in Philippi, that's what we call um, the Philippians. So so these are his letters that he's writing to these church communities. And oftentimes, whenever Paul is writing these letters, letters to these church communities, it is after he has either been beaten, has found himself in prison, sometimes he was denied food, he really went through it because of the political climate of that day to proclaim that Jesus Christ was Lord above all other. And so um, this morning, we're going to hear how it is that Paul talks about what it is to have this power that for many of us, we might see to also be at work in us. So hear now these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with the 7th verse and ending in the 12th verse. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God, and will you pray with me? If it had not been for the Lord on my side, tell me, where would I be? Where would I be if it had not been for the Lord on my side, tell me where would I be? Where would I be? God, sometimes we proclaim your word from the valley of the shadow of death, and sometimes we proclaim your word from the top of Mount Zion, but wherever we are, whether at the highest of the highs or the lowest of the lows, oh God, you are there. And so might you be with us even in the power of your word and Holy Spirit that as you speak to us by taking away my words but offering up to us a good word, that we would know that you are near to us now. So God, would you turn down the voices that would seek to distract us in this moment so that we can hear your still small voice alone and that when it is all said and done, we might know that you who are the living God, who is alive in us, gives us a word so that we can live. We pray all of this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. March 7th, um, 1965, is known as Bloody Sunday in the United States. You might remember... um, Seeing this poignant scene in the movie Selma when John Lewis, that great congressman who just turned 80 on Friday, is marching across the Edmonds Pettus Bridge with 500 people behind him. They had just left the church from Selma to get over the county line so that they might make a 54-mile trek to Montgomery, Alabama, so that they could push for voters' rights and not be obstructed whenever they wanted to vote black people, and you might notice that um, in that movie Selma on Bloody Sunday as um, these marchers are crossing over the county line, they are met by opposition, by police officers who begin to beat the crowd with billy clubs, who begin to disperse um, tear gas, who even begin to charge the crowd on horseback, and there's this um, particular picture. It's almost an iconic picture of John Lewis on the ground after he has been struck down by a billy club and it actually crushed the side of his skull, cracked the side of his skull open. He says on that day he thought he was going to die, that that was going to be his last day on earth. But somehow, way, some of John Lewis's friends actually carried him back over the Edmunds Pettus Bridge to the church where they had left. And guess what, with a cracked skull, John Lewis stood up and addressed the crowd. What is this power? Or um, Lorna, Lorina Stobbs, who at 11 years old in America's Georgia with 30 other little girls who were between the ages of 11 and 14 who wanted to integrate the local movie theater. It says of these 30 young girls as they were on the, like the, the balcony area where they were supposed to sit, because they would not leave the movie theater that they were trying to integrate, that all 30 of these girls between the ages of 11 and 14 were arrested, taken an hour away from America's Georgia to this place called Leesburg Stockade. These 11 to 14-year-old girls had to sleep on cement floors. At one time, even to intimidate them, uh, they threw a snake into the cell where these girls were staying. Now, Lorena stops, she cannot remember in her 11-year-old mind, Now, as an older woman, if she spent four or five days in prison, but for many of those 30 girls, they spent 45 days. 45 days! 45 days! Now, you got to remember, in 1963, where there was no internet, in rural Georgia, parents did not know where their children had gone. And now, Lorena Staub, An older woman who who runs a funeral home in America's Georgia runs a voter registration from her funeral home. What is this power? Or, you know, Dr. King, who writes this letter from Birmingham jail, which is probably one of the most poignant pieces you could ever read. He writes this letter as a response to a moderate white pastor who had written him while he was in prison now, telling him, Martin, be patient, Don't push too much. Let's just let this thing settle down a bit. Now, let me just tell you something, friends. I'm a friendly human being. In fact, I was voted most friendly when I graduated. But if someone puts me in a prison cell and then writes me a letter telling me, be patient, calm down, don't go too fast, something would have popped off. But instead, Dr. King can still proclaim this message, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. What is this power? What is this power? I don't tell these stories to romanticize suffering. I don't tell these stories that we might be voyeurs of other people's pain. I don't tell these stories that we might further dehumanize people by saying, some people just have greater crosses to bear than we ourselves want to bear. But instead, I tell these stories because on the opposite end of their struggle, on the opposite end of their pain, on the opposite end of their imprisonment is extraordinary power. And our scripture lesson captures this distinction well between those who go through things and those who come out of things. Like Paul, who had known what it was to be stripped and beaten and imprisoned and denied food. He says, I am like a clay jar, which in uh, Hebrew and Hellenistic literature oftentimes was used as a metaphor to talk about the fragility of our lives. But then Paul says of this, but that in this clay jar, in my ordinary fragile life, there is this treasure. Now, Paul talks about this treasure, meaning the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the one who comes for us is the one who also saves us. This one who comes into the world, comes into the world to make it whole. He says there's this extraordinary power, but this extraordinary power that is in this fragile clay jar that has a treasure within it is not from our own human capacity, but it comes from God. And I would say that of the stories that I've just shared with you, that in those clay jars the treasure is the gospel lived out. To say that the time had come when Christ wanted to come and save Jesus' people its that lived gospel to say that I have come to set those who are oppressed free. I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. I have come to take those who are on the outside and bring them to the head of the table, that it was a lived gospel that was in those clay jars named Lorena and John Lewis and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and all those whose stories might have had suffering but ended with extraordinary power. Paul says, in our fragile lives, though, God sometimes shows up in a way that looks like beyond our fragile lives. And then probably one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Paul pretty much says to the church in Corinth, listen, we might face challenges, but we ain't going to be taken out. Yeah, this clay jar is fragile and it can break and it talks of our ordinariness, but we will not be taken out. So Paul then begins to talk about the great reversal of suffering and pain and then how it is that we kind of get on the other side. Paul says this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that life of Jesus may also be made visible in our mortal flesh. And if you're like, well, God dog it, verse 12 is so sad that we have to carry the death of Jesus in our bodies. At verse 16, though, it says this, so do not lose heart. (laughs) Because even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every single day. You will not get punked by this power that isn't at work in us, these fragile clay jars. The one thing I'm going to tell you right now that I do not desire for anyone, whether I call them a friend or a foe, is ever for someone to suffer so that we can learn a lesson. I'm not about that life because I serve a Jesus who is about life. You don't need to suffer to learn a lesson. You can also read books to learn lessons, you know, friends. So that kind of theology where you always have to be a self-martyr in order to show something. Oh, I wanted you just to this, so go ahead and put that down. Sometimes sometimes life will bring us troubles sometimes life will bring us pain sometimes life will kick us in the chest but oh no will i never ever 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 relish in the suffering of another human being so then friends never underestimate when god's goodness is displayed in the lives of those who are oppressed on every side, and yet they come out rejoicing. When those whose feet were shackled in Egypt put their feet in the Red Sea for liberation, do not underestimate that power. When those who only had enough grain for one more meal can still call God Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, do not underestimate that power. When those who were journeying in the wilderness for 40 years get to the promised land and have a new song to sing, do not underestimate that power. When those whose harps were put into the trees can still sing to the Lord a new song, do not underestimate that power. When there were individuals who could stand outside of a tomb, not one day, not two days, but three days, and say indeed I have seen the living God, do not underestimate that power. When someone says, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, tell me where would I be Where would I be if it had not been for the Lord on my side? Tell me, where would I be? Where would I be if it had not been for the Lord on my side? Tell me, where would I be? Where would I be? Before you quickly discredit that as just spiritual psychobabble, We are like those who are wasting away, but there is treasure within us and extraordinary power that is not from us, but from God that is at work in us. I cannot tell you that you will never go through hard times. I cannot tell you that this world that is as hard as pig iron, as Howard Thurman says, won't come for your neck. I cannot tell you that there aren't going to be moments when the dark night of the soul is going to seize your soul. But I have been told about this extraordinary power that might cause us in the middle of the night to say how I got over. (laughs) how I got over, when my soul looked back and wonder how I got over. Not my power, but this extraordinary power that is in you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, May you know it in your lives. Amen. As our worship team comes back, I'm going to um, invite you just to close your eyes. Life is so hard. And God, sometimes life is too hard for some people. It's not that life sometimes is unfair, sometimes, God, life is cruel. It makes no sense. when people have to struggle and scrape for the very things that you have called our birthright. Because God, you, you look at all that you created and you said it was very good, but sometimes this world treats us so bad. Some of us are struck down. Some of us have been persecuted. Some of us are so perplexed, we keep doing all the right things and life doesn't seem to go right. But you say these temporary afflictions, that's exactly what they are, temporary. It's a dark night of the soul. It is a night of weeping. It is a temporary journey in the wilderness. But God, we're still asking that you would show us that extraordinary power to move our mountains, to make a way out of no way to create water in the desert, for a crocus to flourish where it should not exist. God, some of us are just tired. We're tired of being tired. We have called out every name that we know to call of yours. So simply, God, today we call you power in our weak place, power in our desperate place, power in the too-long crying place, power in the lonely place, power in the depressed place, power in the broken relationship place, power in the financial strain place, Power in the wounded place. Power in the broken-hearted place. Power in the unfair place. God, we who are your clay jars ask you to be extraordinary power at work in us. This is all we ask. And we do so in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ, who was crushed but not destroyed. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.